You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope that this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. You know, when you get saved, when you get born again, everything internally changes, but not everything changes because it's a matter of taking what God's given you, how He's made you, how He's designed you, how He's birthed you in the Spirit, and then seeing that work out in your life. And, you know, we're made of uh, three parts. In First Thessalonians 5.23, three parts. It says, that may the God of peace sanctify you wholly, your, that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus. And so our whole person is, is three parts. And most of us in here know that because we've talked about these things and we've taught them and ministered on them and we communicate about them. But the thing that I find is that having a revelation of something is it's, it's only the first step. But it's lurking. lurking. It's learning I don't know how I do anything other than with the help of the Lord. Uh, it's learning how to, you know, you, <laughs> this is where the rubber meets the road. Because I look in the mirror sometimes and I think, how could you possibly use me? Or I'll hear myself talk. You want to know a difficult thing? Go back and listen to yourself preach and teach. And not be critical. I said, that's a difficult thing. And you say things like lurking. One time, I said, one time, not long ago, I said, we're living in a day when husbands can't even love their husbands. <laughs> and I was like, did that, did that just come out? And I was like, all those that are, I'm not for gay marriage, so just so you know. You know and so you, you find like all of these inconsistencies with you, and then sometimes it can be like, God, where's, um, where's the, all of the, the fact that everything's been changed on the inside, where is that, all of that in my life? And so it starts with the revelation, but the rest of it is gaining confidence in the Lord that it goes from your spirit into the rest of your life. And this is what I've found is that there is, you know, when we get saved, it says in Ephesians 4 and 20, uh, 4.24, it says, put on the new man which was created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. So the new man that we have in Christ Jesus is created just like God. It doesn't have any lack in it. It has all of the peace. It has all of the blessing. It has all the fruit of the Spirit. It has all the gifts of the Spirit. It, it literally is created in the likeness and the image of God. It looks just like Jesus. And our spirits were not Jesus, but we look exactly like Jesus. He was the firstborn among many brethren. And in a sense, when he came back from the dead, it was almost like he was born again, if you will. And we had the same thing that when we were buried with him in baptism, we were risen again in a newness of life. And so most Christians have some kind of uh, conceptual idea of that. But the deal is, is that we go through life and we still 
often operate from a really uh, a place of, of damage, a place of brokenness. And so we have a, a, a soul that is in the process of being changed. And we have a body that will one day be resurrected and we'll have a brand new body. And I believe our soul will be totally complete at that point too. But right now we're in the process of, or should be, of renewing our mind, which is not your physical brain, but your mind is in your soul. And we're in the process right now of renewing our mind to help it understand, to help our soul understand what was given to us spiritually so that we can reflect or walk in the realities and the truths that God gave us in the Spirit. And so, you know, we basically have, you know, we are one person, and so all these go together, and I'm a, I'm a stick figure guy, all right? So just, you know, whatever. You can judge me if you want, but Jesus loves me, all right? So you've got, you've got three parts, if you will. Hallelujah. And all those go together in, in one. It's all one man. You're not three people. But you have, a, you have a spirit. You have a soul. And you have a body. Some people have said you are a spirit, you possess a soul, and you live in a body. I'm fine with that. I think that that's great. Your spirit... I don't know how to depict this, but it is 100% complete and whole. There's no impurities in it. There's no sin in it. There's no lack in it. There's no problems. And when we relate to God, we relate to Him spirit to spirit. And this is why we can have confidence that regardless of what has happened here, or what is happening here, once we've been born again, it doesn't change what has taken place inside of here. If what happens here could change what happens here, then that means that the covenant that we've entered into through the blood of Jesus was lesser than what Adam did. Because Jesus was the last Adam. And the reason he was the last Adam is because he undid what the first Adam did and set everything back in order. Now you have to put faith in the Lord to be born again. That's a requirement. You must put your faith in him. But once you put your faith and trust in Jesus for salvation or to be born again, you literally get changed on the inside. And when you get changed on the inside, everything comes into newness. And this is why it says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so when you're looking at what has become uh, new, you have to do a process of elimination and, and see that it can't be your soul, which is your mind. I'm going to write this out here. It's your mind, your will, your emotions, in your conscience. So your, your soul is all of this. It's your mind, your will, your emotions, and your conscience. Can anybody tell me for certain that your mind, your will, and your emotions, and your conscience were totally made perfect whenever you got born again? Can anyone tell me for certain that when you got born again, that those things indeed still had issues going on inside of them? Let me see a show of hands. It should be every hand up here. Can anyone tell me when you got born again, did your body instantly become just the perfect shape that it needed to be in? 
No. Now, spiritually, we have the things necessary to bring transformation in these other areas. But when we got saved, it was a transformation on the inside in our inner man. And so that's the part that's been changed. And if you don't understand this, if we don't understand this, then we often end up operating from a place of confusion, thinking, well, God says, I have this. He says, I am this. He says, I have these blessings, but yet I'm not sensing any of that. And here's what I've, I've found out is that your soul is, it's really like the, the valve to you. And so if you want what's in your spirit to manifest in your life, you have to get your soul in alignment with what's true about what God says about you. And so this is why it talks about in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is a good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And so the transformation of, of the mind, which is your mind is this, you could call it this. This is how I often refer to the mind is your CPU. It's your central processing unit. You know, if you have a computer, the computer has a central processing unit and it determines everything else that goes on with that entire computer. It determines what gets displayed on the screen and how your mouse works and your keyboard works and all that stuff. Everything runs through that central processing unit. That's how your mind is. That's how our minds are. And so we don't do anything outside of our minds. And I'm not talking about your physical brain. I think that's also true. They work in conjunction with each other. But you know, you have a spirit of your mind. You have a spirit. Uh, I'm sorry, you have a, a mind in your spirit. You have a mind in your soul. And then you have a, a brain or a mind, you could say, inside of your body. And the, the brain or the mind in your body, it's the, it's the physical organ that's on the inside of there. And the mind in your spirit, it talks about that we have the mind of Christ, right? That's on the inside of your spirit. And then we also have a mind that has to be transformed. The level of transformation that takes place in our soul, in particular in, particular in our mind, will be the measure of transformation or the release of what God's placed in our spirit to the rest of our life. And so understanding this is just, it's, it's not, to even say it's essential doesn't really even cut it. Because what happens is that people get, they get saved and there's a work that, that happens inside of our spirit. I mean, it is a total, complete work. And anytime people say things about like, my spirit is growing and I don't, I don't cut hairs over that, you know? I mean, people are just saying I'm growing spiritually, but technically your spirit is not growing anymore. The Bible says that just as Jesus is, so are we in this world. How is that possible? It's because our spirits are just like Jesus's spirit. And for the record, we are not deity. We are not an object to be worshipped, and we will never be worshipped. There's only one that ever gets to worship. But understand this, that, that because our spirits were changed, it brought us into a seated position with the Lord that gave us access to all of his benefits that we can bring into the, the realm that we live in, which is in our soul and in our body. And when people get, when people get saved, uh, they, the, the transformation happens on the inside, but it's a process of working out the transformation from the inside to the outside. 
And the, the more revelation we have about what God has given to us and who we are and the identity we have, the greater manifestation we'll have in our life. But there's one thing I want to zero in on here for a little bit, and I want to talk to you about uh, the soul and the damage that takes place in the soul or has taken place for so many people. And I think this is really going to help you. And, you know, the, the body, it's interesting. God made our bodies. Anybody that believes in evolution, they are, all they're doing is denying the existence of God. There's no way that you can look at your physical body and, and with all honesty, with any honesty, say, oh, I, this just evolved from an ooze on a beach somewhere or whatever. No, there's no way. It is so complex. It's incredible how God made our bodies. And here's something that's interesting is that your body can heal itself. You cut your finger, you might throw some Neosporin on there and throw a Band-Aid on it or whatever you want to do. You might do that, but you take that Band-Aid off, and even if you didn't put a Band-Aid on it, it would heal over, it would scab over. There might be a scar there or something, depending on how deep the cut was, but your body has the ability to heal itself. You know what I found out is that your soul does not have the ability to heal itself. This is, this is why we have to purpose you can cut your finger, and, I, and I'm not saying that if you hurt yourself, that if you need attention, get attention or whatever. But just generally speaking, you hurt yourself, you don't really have to do anything. Your body will, will just heal itself. Now, we live in a fallen world, and sometimes our bodies, we need to pray over them because they need to, they need to function at a higher level, all right? But just basically, God made our bodies to heal themselves. But our souls were not made to experience the things that we have experienced in this life. And if we don't become intentional to deal with the things in our soul, we will, and, and, I, and I'm going to say this, it's not just being healed, but it's actually becoming whole. Because healing is almost like, you know, you stop the bleeding, but, you know, you could, you could stop the bleeding, but you are missing an arm. And if your body was made whole, then you would have an arm put back in place, Right? Well, in our spirits, oftentimes, excuse me, in our souls, oftentimes, we'll experience problems inside there. Just from living in this life, stuff that happens, and our soul gets damaged, and the Lord not only wants to bring healing to your soul, He also wants to bring wholeness to it, to where you don't limp through life barely making it by. Because you can have a broken soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and conscience, that can be messed up and you still go to heaven because your faith is in Christ. Heaven and hell is an issue of faith. It's not an issue of performance. Simply put, that's what, that's what causes us, that's the determination on where we spend our afterlife is whether we put faith in Christ or not. But you can have faith in the Lord for salvation, but not have faith in the Lord to complete the manifestation of what He's placed in you to work outside of you in the realm of your soul. People experience uh, a lot of damage in their soul. And here are some things that people and every one of you will be able to, um, to relate to some of these things. And I know that I certainly can. And God's brought me through a lot of things. But the Lord began to show me recently that it's not just about having healing, but it's about having wholeness. It's about coming to a place to where the thing that used to be a problem, you're not just free from it, but it no longer even knocks on your door. 
And so here are some things. I'm going to give you a list of things that people have experienced. And this is just a simple list. There could be more things. And some of these things overlap. Rejection, shame, condemnation. And these are all damage, uh, damages or, or insults or injuries to the realm of the soul, the mind, the will, the emotions, and the conscience. Rejection, shame, condemnation, sin, judgment. Uh, uh, and that's like people judging you. Speculative imagination, abuse, broken trust, unhealthy addictions, soul ties, lasting disappointment, hopelessness, fear, depression, regret, sadness, anxiety, unforgiveness, offense, uncontrolled emotions, uh, sinful anger, rebellion, and lies. And there are a lot of those things, and I believe there's more that could be added to that list. But there are things that people have experienced in the realm of their soul concerning those things that what they've done is they got saved and then they started to move forward but didn't realize how God really made them and the fact that He wants them to be free from those things that still haunt them from the past. And so it's not just about... Because see, you can cut something off that used to be there. An addiction or a sin or a problem. You can cut it off. But even if you cut it off, it's possible that it's done damage to you. So being made whole is going and dealing with the parts that have been broken inside your soul that God wants to bring complete and total restoration to. And the level that we operate in our soul is the level that will manifest the blessing, the favor, the goodness, really truly who we are in Christ. That's the measure that 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 operates. Because you 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 can have two people that have the exact same, let's say they were into... You know, you know, heavy drug life or something like that. You can have brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so come and they both get saved. And you can have one of them and they both were truly saved. Salvation, all that's required for salvation is you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. And, you know, that verse. Anyways, I always get the things mixed up. How does it go? Believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. It's very, very simple. So you could have sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so that both come, they have the exact same problem and they both come and they receive salvation. But one of them moves forward and begins to renew their mind and renew their mind and renew their mind and the level of manifestation outward changes noticeably by the people around them. And then you have the other one that they had an encounter with the Lord. They truly put their trust in Jesus, but they didn't renew their mind. And so the level of manifestation of God's blessing, favor of freedom remained only at a level of getting saved, but it didn't work out in their life. And so many people, religion would look at that and they would say, that person didn't get saved. Otherwise, we'd see a change. And what I do is I look at that and I say, First of all, it's not my job to judge whether someone really got saved or not. If people confess Jesus as Lord, I treat them as if they're, if they're born again. It's not my job to figure out whether they're born again or not. Amen. But what I believe often happens is that somebody gets saved, they get born again, the change happens on the inside, but they don't ever renew their mind, and so they don't manifest that change on the outside. And so I think religion often would look at somebody who's stuck in really bad patterns, even if they've confessed Jesus as Lord, they'll go, well, they must not really have been saved because there's no change. The deal is, is that it's a, it's a journey of going from 
being saved and being in whatever level of brokenness that we're dealing with and walking out of that brokenness and into the high life, into the life that God's called us to live in. And so for anybody to ever look at somebody and say, well, they must not be saved or they must, you know, it must not been real or, you know, whatever, whatever words they put in there, that's not our job to judge that. But what we should do is go along and try to help those people come along and grow in the realm of their, their mind, their will, emotions, and conscience in their soul. Because if they can change there, they're going to change the manifestation of what's happening in their life. Amen. Is this helping you guys at all? So this really will help us be able to help us, but also be able to help other people and look at them through a, through a proper perspective, a proper scope. People got problems, man. People got problems. The Lord spoke this to me one time uh, after a few years, several years of pastoring, and, and uh, he took me through the, just the general idea of what it would take to become a brain surgeon. And I don't really know what it takes to become a brain surgeon, but I do know that it would be, it's one of the most skilled positions in the whole world, probably. And really, I would say probably in the medical field, it probably is the most or arguably the most. And, you know, they have to go through medical school and then or pre-med, then medical school. And then they have to go to whatever kind of training or schooling for their, their that you know, to be a brain surgeon. And then they have to go and become, you know, an apprentice. I don't know what the terms are. And then they become you know, to the point to where like, yeah, they're a, a surgeon or whatever. What is that, 12, 15 years, something like that? I don't know. Any of my nurse friends in here, doctor people, whatever. Sound about right? Yeah. Amber saying, yeah, something like that. All right. A long time. All right. And the Lord, I'm like, Lord, why are you showing me this? He said, that's what it takes to deal with the brain of a human. But he said, the soul, the souls of people are far more complex. And the reason he spoke that to me is because I was dealing with always feeling like I don't ever feel like I've got what it takes to minister to people. Because I always feel like they're, they're, I can give them all this truth. And even sometimes for myself, like I've got all this truth, but yet I'm still hitting a place. And the Lord just began to show me that people's souls are so complicated. If you think about all of the things that have happened to us from the time we were born to now, all of the words that have been spoken, all the thoughts that we've had, all the things that have come against us, we live in a world that we're having to deal with things outside of the scope of how God originally created us to operate. There are, I just, I just learned this, I said 62,000, but there, it's actually 66,000 thoughts on average we have in one day. 66,000 thoughts. So let me ask you a question. How many of those thoughts are in, are in love? I don't mean just love towards other people. I mean towards the Lord and most importantly towards yourself. How many of those thoughts are of love? I'm going to come back to this in just a second, but let me, let me tell you something that I've learned is that uh, there's a, a lady named Dr. Carolyn Leaf. And basically, she's a, we don't know what she is, a, a neuroscience psychologist, something like that, but she's awesome. And she discovered that people were, and, and they've done these studies on the physical brain, they've done these studies that when people do things and think things outside of the realm of God's love, their physical brain gets because we've got all of these nerve endings and, and all of the stuff that happens in our brains, their physical brains actually get rewired. Physically, they get rewired 
to compensate for the way that people are thinking because it's outside of the original design that God designed it. And this, she goes on to say this, that the way that God designed people to think is only in the realm of love. We're not supposed to think any thoughts. I mean, God didn't make us to think, human beings, to think any thoughts outside of the realm of love. Now, if you think that we've got, and so they tied, they've tied so much of what goes on physically with people to the way that they think. For example, we know this to be true. Uh, stress is one of the number one, indirectly is one of the number one killers of people physically. They get stressed, they have strokes, they have heart attacks. Um, it's been tied to cancer and a lot of different things. What is stress? Stress is worry. It's fear. Where does that come from? It comes from the way that we think. So they tied all of these reworkings of the brain to actually causing physical problems with people. Now, if we think 66,000 thoughts in a day, and you go, well, I don't want to think that many. You are. <laughs> we all are. How many of those 66,000 thoughts are in the realm of love? How many of those thoughts are we self-hating? Are we self-loathing? Are we negative towards us? Are we negative towards other people? Are we being critical? Are we in fear? Are we in worry? Are we in sin? Are we in whatever it is that we're dealing with? How many of those thoughts? And I don't want anyone to answer, but if you sat and thought a percentage, I bet you for most of us, the percentage of the 66,000 thoughts that we have are actually in the realm of God's love. For most people, it would be a very low number. And you know what that says? We're operating outside of the realm of God's original purpose for us. Every one of us were designed to operate in the realm of God's love. And here's the deal, is that Jesus came to restore what Satan stole in the garden. As a matter of fact, let me say it this way, Jesus did come and restore what Satan stole in the garden. Most people think the great sin was that Adam and Eve rebelled. And that was a big deal. They did rebel against the Lord, against the word of the Lord, and that was a big deal. And then people say things like, well, sin is separating you from God. Sin's not separating you from God. What you believe about you because you sinned is what's separating you from God. When they were in the garden and they sinned, and the Lord said, the day that you eat of the tree, he said, you'll die. And so, but they continued, we know they continued to live on physically, right? Because they had communication, they had children, all that stuff happened. They continued to live physically. How did they die? I believe they died spiritually. And so this is why man had to be born again. But they also died in the realm of their soul, in particular, in their conscience. Their conscience became heavy and they could no longer with confidence go stand before the Lord. See, people say that sin separates you from the Lord. And I would agree with that, but only in, the, only in the sense that it's the effect of what sin does on the human conscience that causes you to be separated from the Lord. Because the Lord, after they sinned, He went in the garden, and what did He say? Adam, where are you? Because they had been walking with God and fellowshipping with God, and God came back to fellowship with them, and they had hid themselves why? Did God tell them to hide themselves? No. Satan convinced them that they were not who God said that they were. And because they sinned, they went outside of God's original design for them. 
and they stopped fellowshipping with the Lord because of their heavy conscience. Then they got into self-effort trying to fix things and make it okay so that God would see them rightly. You know what the original sin was? I was going to ask it as a trick question. Did we go to Ephesians chapter 2? Can you guys hang with me? You getting something out of this? Um, go to Ephesians 2, but go to Genesis 3, and we're going to hit both of these very quickly. I have like 40 scripture verses, and I have not hit one of them yet. Genesis 3. Man, this is so important. I'm not going to go through and read this whole thing, but I've drawn so much from this over the years. And let's go to... Um, so basically, the Lord came and, and, he, and he told him, and what's interesting is he said, who told you that you were naked? <laughs> See, they were naked before and it wasn't a problem. Then all of a sudden, they decided to cover themselves up. They never knew they were naked. They were not aware of any kind of flesh or humanity on that level. They just were who they were and they were fine with that and they were fine with God. Just as simple as that. So he asked them, who, you know, who told you you were naked? And then they said, well, why did you do this? And in verse 12, it says, and the man said to the woman, and that here goes shifting the blame. Then the man said to the woman, uh, excuse me, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate it. I was like, okay, Adam. And then in verse 13, and the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, now she casted the blame on Satan, but she also revealed something here. The woman said, the, the serpent deceived me and I ate. What was the original sin? Was it eating? No, it was being deceived. And you say, well, how is that a sin? The Bible says in Romans 14 that anything not done in faith is a sin. You can't be deceived and be in faith at the same time. The original sin was not eating of the tree. The original sin was the deception. What was the deception that he brought to them? I have a point with all of this, by the way. What was the deception that he brought to them? He said, in the day that you eat of the tree, then you will be like God. You know what Satan is doing? This day, it is still the exact same lie and deception he's bringing to believers. He's saying, once you do this, once you do this, once you do this, then you'll really truly be like God. And this is why we have to have a revelation of who we are in the spirit, because the truth is, in your spirit, man, you are already 100% just like God. So when Satan comes to you and says, and says your name or says your situation and says, if you really want to be like God, you have to do X, Y, Z. If you really want to be like God, you have to do ABC. If you really want to be like God, you have to stop doing this and you have to start doing this. And he puts all of these conditions on you being like God, you not knowing that you're already deceived, thinking you have to do something to be something, when the truth is, is that your faith in Christ already made you everything you will ever need to be in Christ. And so he deceives people, he brings people into this great lie and deception, and they spend their whole life trying to enter into a place they've already entered into through faith. Watchman Nee said this, he said, most Christians are trying to enter into a room they've already entered into. It's like they're spinning around going, how do I enter into this place? They're already in the place that God says you need to be in. 
So the sin that Satan has brought into the world, the original sin, which was the deception, is the same thing he's doing today. He's trying to get people to question if they're really like God. He told Jesus the same thing. Of course, we know that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. But when he came and he tempted, Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he said, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God. Jesus knew he was the Son of God. But he was, the enemy was trying to get him to believe that he was something different than who he really was. He did the same thing to Adam and Eve in the garden. He did the same thing to Jesus, and he's trying to do the same thing to us. But our revelation of who we are, what God says about us, and how he made us, and believing that is what insulates us from falling into the lies and the fallacies and the trap that he's bringing people into. Because if you can see yourself as something, you'll start to manifest yourself as that way. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. This is the very reason why when people uh, think worrisome thoughts and then get stressed, they become that and physically manifest it in their physical bodies with heart conditions and all of the the whole gamut. They, they, They actually become what it is that they're, they're thinking negative and those kind of thoughts. Well, when we change the way that we're thinking and stop seeing ourselves according to our current condition, but we start to see ourselves according to our current position, we will manifest outwardly what God says is already true inwardly. No wonder why. No wonder why religion has been telling people, you got to get born again again. I mean, you got to come down to the altar again. Did you mess up between Sunday and Sunday? Well, yeah, I did. Well, you got to get changed. You got to get born again, again. Once you get born again, once you can't get born again, again. I don't have time to get into all of that, but that is absolutely the truth. I remember this one guy when we were in a, in a, uh, uh, it was it was a Pentecostal holiness without the Pentecostal. Uh, they didn't believe in praying in tongues, but they believed that you had to wear, you know, like all that stuff, or you're going straight to hell. I mean, if you're a guy and you got a mustache. I mean, Brandon, he would have been in hell a long time ago, you know, so <laughs> they, they, they believe that stuff. And uh, I remember this, and it, and, it, and it affected the kids so much. And I remember this one kid, he was probably, I mean, he was about my age, and I was about 10. And I, I'll never forget him just standing there, and he said, Will, he said, I got saved last week, and he said, I'm going to have to get saved again this week, too. And he said, I've gotten saved now about 25 times. That's what he said. Remember Isaac? Remember that cute, cute kid? And uh, I guess, I don't know, he's like my age, whatever. Uh, just real simple, tenderhearted. And, uh, and looking back, I think, man, what a travesty. What did God place in him that he couldn't see because he was blanketed with a cloak of religion that says you have to do if you're going to be? If that's what you believe, the enemy, enemy will make sure that you never stop doing to be. You'll never stop doing to be. I know that most of you have heard me share some of these things in here before, but I felt very impressed that we need, we need to go deeper with this. And the reality is, is that we have a lot of damage in the realm of the soul. And the only way that we're going to get healed up from the damage that has, been, that has happened in the realm of the soul and become a whole to where we can actually function right is that we have to start to see ourselves the way that God sees us. Look here in Ephesians chapter 2. And let me show you this as briefly as I possibly can. And this is really where all of this started from. VBS this week, this is the verse that we're using. And I say we, and I didn't have anything to do with it. But man, they heard, Marianne and Katie, man, they heard a 
God on this. And this is Ephesians 2 and 10. It says, now look, I want to pull this up here. Let's all look at this together. Ephesians 2, chapter 2 and verse 10. And this is the theme verse for this week at VBS. Here's what it says. It says, for we are His workmanship. Everybody say His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I used to read this verse years ago and be so condemned by it because I saw good there and I thought I'm not good enough to do the good works that need to be done. And, but I noticed something. It says that beforehand, God beforehand prepared that we should walk in them. You know, a good work is different than a dead work, which is different than an evil work. An evil work are evil things that people do. A good work is good things that people do. But a dead work is good things that people do, but for the wrong motivation. Good works are done from a revelation of who you are. Dead works are done trying to become something. And it talks about in, in Ephesians chapter 11, or chapter 10, it says that, that Christ has redeemed us from, from dead works. What are dead works? The works that people do trying to appease their conscience, and or trying to appease God for God to accept them and promote them and bless them and all the stuff that they want to add in there. That's a dead work. But a good work is something we're called to do. And you know, we've got something in us that just wants to be fruitful. We want to have good stuff happen. We want to affect other people. Who in here agrees that that's true about you? And so you know what the enemy is trying to get you to do is believe that that you don't already have that ability in Christ to do that and that your works are going to bring you into something and thus causing you more frustration and getting caught up in the, in the, the, the religion of the whole thing. But the deal is, is it says that we are his workmanship. And so I was reading this one day and I said, Lord, why is this talking about me as your workmanship in conjunction with me doing good works? And he said, because if you don't have a revelation of who you are, you can't ever do what I've called you to do with the right motivation. You'll always find yourself doing to be instead of just being. Instead of doing out of a revelation of how God has already made you. Think about this. We are his workmanship. This is talking about like, a, like, an, like an artisan or someone who's, a, uh, who's an artist who makes something, who paints a canvas, who creates something out of gold, who whatever it was, somebody who builds and makes something special. And it's saying that God, that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We, you, you need to put your hand on your heart just like this right now and raise your hand like this and say, I, now say it like you mean it, I am God's workmanship. And I have value beyond measure. You know how I know you're valuable? It's not just a saying. Sometimes it'd be like, oh, you're just, God just loves you so much and you're so valuable. No, no, you're valuable because he made you. Mona Lisa, the Starry Night, Van Gogh, the sculpture of David, which is weird because he's naked, but all these things that people have made are and as far as monetary things on the earth, made by artisans, made by artists, the Sistine Chapel and Michelangelo painting all of that, nearly priceless. You know why? It's because of the one who made it and how rare it is. Who made you? How many are there 
of you. One. The most famous person in the history of the world made you, and he didn't make another one like you. No wonder the enemy's working so hard to try to get you to believe that you're not something special when you are something special. Jesus. I need a lot more time, but let's go back and read a couple verses here. Give me five more minutes. In verse 1, let's go back to verse 1 of Ephesians 2, and it says, And you he made. Notice the tense. It's past tense. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Now, the Ephesian church was huge. Do you think that there was anybody in the Ephesian church that was still dealing with some issues in the realm of the soul? I mean, just come on, let's be honest. Yeah, they were. But he didn't see them like that. He said, you once walked like that. Now you don't any longer. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. It doesn't say by need, by uh, by deed, you were children of wrath. It says by nature you were children of wrath. People think that their deeds caused them to be separated from God. Your deeds have never caused you to be separated from God. Your former nature and a mind unrenewed is the only thing that causes you to be separated from God. We don't have that nature anymore. Anybody who's been born again, you don't have that nature anymore. <laughs> Let me show you this. So when it talks about, and I'll, I'll get the phrase right, uh, when it talks about uh, in this verse 3, we conducted ourselves and we all, it says we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh. Here's this right here. Lust of the flesh. Most people would go, oh, that's the gross sin that people have been living in. And so then all, all of a sudden, we've got a separation with the people that are doing the really bad stuff from the people who aren't doing things too bad. Those people over there, they're in the flesh, but the rest of us, we're pretty much on a good path. I got news for you. If you think either one of those things, then you're, you're, you're the one operating in the lust of the flesh because the enemy has you here, in some kind of sin pattern, or he has you in here, which is self-righteousness. Either one bring you underneath of the condemnation of the devil. Because sin, if you stay in sin patterns, your, your mind can't handle you doing things continually outside of God's original design. We were not made to operate in sin. Man, our world needs to hear this right now. We were not made to operate in sin. Thank God for the grace of God or else we would all be in trouble. But we also were not made to operate in self-righteousness. If you operate in self-righteousness thinking that your works make you something, then you're operating according to the lusts of the flesh. And going back to verse 2, it says, "...in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air." Who's the prince of the power of the air? Satan. What did Satan do in the garden? He convinced them that they weren't something and they needed to do something to be. 
The lust of the flesh is not just talking about sin stuff. It's talking about self-righteousness to try to be something when God says you are already that person and you can't do any more to be what God has made you 100% in the spirit. I'm out of time. I hate cocks. I'll preach for hours in heaven. Nobody will care. Let me read this. I will preach it. Who said... You ain't preaching. Who said that? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I will preach in heaven. Listen here in verse 4. And you say, well, Jesus will be the only one. Well, we got all eternity. Don't you think he's going to give me a turn? I, I say yes. It says, look here in verse 4. I'm going to read these and then we'll quit. But God who is, oh. He gives an average amount of mercy adequate for whatever you're, no, he's rich in mercy. See, our level of rich and God's level of rich are two different things. We think about a rich person and we think, well, they could eventually run out. They probably won't run out of money, but they could. Listen, God's so rich in mercy, he can't run out of mercy. It's impossible for him to. You know what mercy, the difference between mercy and grace is? Grace is what God gives you that you don't deserve. Mercy is what God doesn't give you that you do deserve. You know what we deserve? We deserve to have to work to attain right standing with God. But because he's rich in mercy, he says, I'm going to work for you to have right standing with me, and you don't have to work anymore. So now when you go and do the good works that you were created in me to be fruitful as the original design and purpose was, you can do it with a clear conscience knowing that I've paved the way. Even when you were dead in trespasses, made, uh, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Position. Somebody say position. We're in right position. Somebody say we're in right position. Amen. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We have no room to boast, but because Christ did it, we also have no room to worry. And there is no room for the condemner to come and condemn us any longer. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit overcomerschurchinternational.com.